The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Their parents had been warned about the woods, but they didn't believe. Stories from the past. Folklore. The Kilburn Club was quite the exclusive group. You had to have unique qualifications to join. First, you had to live on Kilburn Avenue in Shuford, Michigan. Second, you had to be in fifth grade at Shuford Elementary. Other kids at school knew about the Kilburn Club, but no one really knew what it was. All they knew was that Freddie Sanchez, Mark Hewitt, and Spencer and Maggie Eden were in it, and they made it sound awesome. Freddie, Mark, Spencer, and Maggie had all been hanging out since they were toddlers. Mark had lived on Kilburn Avenue since he was born, and the other three had moved into their houses on either side of his sometime between the ages of one and three. There had been no club at first, just a group of neighbor kids running around outside together. But in the third grade, Freddie started getting picked on, and in some cases straight up bullied. That's when the Kilburn Club started. Mark Hewitt won the lottery in the esoteric hierarchy that determines grade school popularity. He may have been the most popular kid in all of Shuford Elementary, but he had not chased that crown, nor did he care to wear it, and he reigned with humble reluctance. He actually despised his popularity somewhat, until it became useful. The Kilburn Club had been his idea. After Freddy's bullying started at the hands of some kids a grade above them, Mark enlisted Spencer and Maggie Eden to start spreading claims that the four of them were in the secretive group. Spencer and Maggie were paternal twins who had many friends for that reason alone. They utilized this network to spread word of the Kilburn Club rapidly. Soon, the four started hearing rumors they had not themselves instigated circulating. The Kilburn Club gets to stay up until 11 every night. The Kilburn Club watches R-rated movies every weekend. The Kilburn Club members will ruin the lives of any bullies in the whole school. Of course, all of these were ridiculous, baseless claims. But Mark, Spencer, and Maggie let them spread in the name of protecting Freddy. And the bullying did stop. Not only for Freddy, but for all the smaller kids who had been suffering. Anytime a former bully got too nervous to corner a kid or push them off a slide, he or she would tell their friends the Kilburn Club had threatened to burn down their house or kill their dog or something. 
The teachers and staff eventually caught wind of the Kilburn Club rumors too, and they allowed them to perpetuate. The club had solved problems for everyone. To the real Kilburn Club, being a member only meant what it had ever meant, hanging out in their neighborhood after school. A stream ran behind their homes, so they could often be found down there trying to catch frogs and fish. A fairly dense woods flourished on the other side of the stream. The kids would play over on the opposite bank, but never ventured into the trees. Their parents had told them all how easy it is to get lost in the woods, but even without this warning, they probably wouldn't have gone too far. Something about those woods spooked them. Sometimes when their conversation would slow, or they were playing a game like hide-and-seek or sardines, they would notice all the birds and insects had stopped chirping. Even the leaves rustling would fade to a lackadaisical hiss. Freddy started the rumor that the Kilburn Club had a secret fort hidden in the woods behind their homes. He had chosen this location for their hypothetical hideout because he knew none of the other kids would ever work up the nerve to look for it. But the idea of a hidden fort festered in the four young minds. Eventually, it worked its way into their conversations. Maggie pretended to shudder dramatically the first time someone brought it up, but only a week or so later, the conversations started sounding more like plans. My dad has a bunch of old boards under the deck, Mark said one afternoon. The kids had been riding their bikes up and down the street for hours and had stopped to rest in the shade of the tree in Freddy's front yard. He doesn't use them for anything. I bet we could take some for walls or whatever. Our parents have some wood in the garage, too, Spencer said. Big flat boards from when we tore down our old shed. If we could get one of those across the stream, I bet it would be a good roof. The resourceful foursome brainstormed like this until they had plans to collect all the necessary materials. Their fear of the woods diminished to a mere whisper of a memory. They spent the following day dragging old and, in some cases, mossy boards down to the stream. There, the kids passed them across, assembly line style. It took the enthusiastic bunch less than an hour to have everything where they needed it. They separated into pairs to find a good place to build their exclusive fort. Maggie and Freddie undoubtedly found the best place to build. Mark and Spencer thought they had a good one, but they didn't even bring it up after seeing Maggie and Freddie's. They found a place where two trees had fallen at a near-perfect 90-degree angle, forming a corner. One tree had fallen over the other, which formed a natural entryway, if they were willing to crawl through the three-foot-high gap. Spencer pointed out, "'You won't even be able to see it from the back because of the trees.' And so the ramshackle fort was built. The structure was just barely tall enough for most of them to stand in. Freddy had to duck his head a little bit. But they loved it. The Kilburn Club now had a real secret hideout. One of the rumors had actually come true. The more time the four kids spent out in the fort, the more adapted they became to the woods. The apprehension they had once felt completely evaporated by the time summer vacation came around. During the summer... The Kilburn kids stopped knocking on one another's doors when they were ready to play. They all went straight to the fort. Sometimes they would bring books or magazines with them. Freddie brought one particular book they all loved to look at, especially when it started getting dark. It was called Miles's Monster Menagerie. It was a fictional encyclopedia of terrifying beasts and paranormal beings, stuff that would have given them nightmares even just a year ago but now fascinated and titillated them. 
Eventually, the newness of the fort wore off, and the children found themselves sitting inside it, bored. Freddy suggested, We could use some of the extra wood to try building a dam in the stream. This idea didn't receive much enthusiasm. It was Mark, in the end, who drafted the winning plan. Mark, despite his popularity, tended to be the quietest in the group, so when he offered an idea, his friends usually listened. We haven't really explored the woods yet, Mark said. We looked around for this spot, you know, back when we built this place, but we don't know what else there is around here. Maybe there's some cool stuff. Each of the children felt a lingering pinprick of apprehension, a ping of something which they had known before. They each looked to each other for validation, but each child was putting on a brave face. No one wants to be the downer. So when they each searched the faces of their friends, all they saw was brave indifference. And thus, they decided to leave their safe little fort and venture into the unknown. Spencer had the brilliant idea to mark their path so they could find their way back to the fort whenever they decided to end the expedition. The thought came to him after he looked over his shoulder into the lush, green wilderness behind them and realized he couldn't see the fort anymore. Hadn't their parents warned them about how easily they could get lost out there? He offered up the first marker, the yellow Michigan Wolverine's baseball cap on his head. Don't let me forget it, though, he said. It's actually my dad's. Spence, Maggie chastised him with an exasperated sigh. Did you ask him before you took it? Spencer's sheepish grin answered for him. He hung his dad's hat on a branch at eye level. A few minutes later, Maggie started lingering behind. Mark noticed and called her out. Sorry, it's just... Do you guys feel weird? She asked. Freddy asked. Like what? I don't know. It's like... Well, for one thing, why is it so quiet? Now the whole group stopped to listen. But listen to what? The rustling leaves above? The rattling bushes ahead? There were no birds to hear. No chittering squirrels darting across the composting leaves of yesteryear. Even the wind seemed hesitant to whisper through the trees, like it felt it didn't belong. The children suddenly felt entirely out of place. Why had they come out so far? Hadn't they been afraid of these woods once? There must have been some reason for that. And then there was the smell. Putrid. Unpure. One might have described it by comparison to a septic tank, but that would be entirely wrong. The stench of a septic tank, on the unfortunate occasion when it must be opened, is expected, normal, justified. The horrendous odor which poisoned the natural air of the woods belonged to something which, by its very nature, did not belong. Something which had rotted and decayed, but could not be absorbed into the ecosystem, something which nature itself rejected. I think it's time to go back, Mark spoke for them all. Maggie started to say, yeah, let's... But a loud crack cut her off cold. Their four small ghostly faces turned in the direction of the sound. The density of the woods muted most distant sounds, which meant the crack had come from something close, something imminent, it came from just beyond a grove of short pine trees elevated by a shallow hill. Mark looked at Maggie, who looked at Spencer, who looked at Freddy. No one moved. A sizzle of cracking branches preceded the violent rattling of one of the short pine trees, and the Kilburn Club tore off in the direction they thought they had come. 
They shouted sporadically. What was that? Did you guys see it? What did we do? Is it coming for us? If it was tailing them, it was unlikely they could have seen it. The dense trees with their abundant low branches hid everything behind them. Their own pounding, crashing feet made hearing any pursuing footsteps impossible. Freddy started to worry they had run the wrong way until he noticed Maggie's orange cardigan dangling from a branch ahead. He led the group in a slight diversion, suddenly recognizing certain landmarks from their previous path. Maggie stopped to untie the sleeve of her cardigan from the branch. Spencer slowed to help her, but she freed the sleeve without his help. The two of them now tailed Mark and Freddy by at least ten yards. "'Hey, guys, wait up!' Spencer called ahead. Mark looked back but showed no signs of slowing down. Spencer heard a sound to his left, the twisting crackle of a falling tree, and his labored breathing was interrupted by an involuntary scream. He and Maggie heard other trees snap as they were wounded by their fallen brother, but the felled tree did not fall into the children's path. It served only to release energy reserves they had not known they possessed. Somehow the sprinting kids missed Freddy's lucky keychain, but stumbled across Mark's silver cross necklace. That left just one marker before they reached the fort. Spencer's dad's Wolverine's hat. I bet if we cut down here, we'll get to the stream faster, Mark suggested, pointing down a steep hill. He was undoubtedly correct, but Spencer's stomach twisted into a knot at the thought of returning home without his dad's favorite hat. He shouldn't have taken it in the first place. You guys go ahead, he said. I gotta get dad's hat. No, Spencer, Maggie pled. She faced him while the other two shuffled and slid down the steep grade. We can get the hat later. Dad probably won't even notice right away. No, I gotta... Then I'm coming with you, Maggie said, planting a foot for emphasis. Spencer looked into her eyes. His eyes, really, if he ignored the long hair framing them. His father's eyes, too. Only he had never seen so much love in his father's eyes. The frustration, the anger, he recognized. Okay... You're right, Spencer said. He put out his hand for Maggie to hold as she started down the grade. He crouched at the top, assisting her, until letting her continue to hold on to his hand would have dragged him down too. That's when he let go. His sister tumbled and fell flat on her stomach at the base of the hill. This hurt Spencer more than it hurt her. What are you doing? Maggie demanded. I have to, was all Spencer said before disappearing from the edge of the steep grade. Somewhere up there, the remaining three children heard another tree twist and crack, but this one did not fall. Maggie continued to cry out for Spencer as Mark and Freddy half-dragged her to the stream. She only crossed it after Mark accidentally knocked her down on her butt in the middle of the running water. She had refused to cross, and he had given her only a gentle push, but she hadn't been expecting it. Wet from the waist down and from her eyelids to her chin, Maggie crawled up the bank and wailed Spencer's name into the wall of trees on the other side. Sitting on the bank, with Freddy and Mark on either side of her, Maggie began to feel her hands growing numb. Her fingers became stiff, as if ninety years had suddenly passed and left her with arthritis. She had never experienced this before, but she knew what it was. Spencer had once told her about it. It had happened to him when they were six. Maggie had woken in the middle of the night with debilitating stomach pain. Their mom had rushed her to the hospital where she had an emergency appendectomy. Spencer had told Maggie, when she came home, that his hands had gone numb and stiff 
while she was at the hospital, likely right around the time of her surgery. He's in trouble, Maggie said, almost without emotion. She knew it to be as plain a fact as her pants were wet. I think it's bad, her voice cracked. He'll be all right, Mark assured her without confidence. Yeah, Mags, Spencer knows what he's doing. He'll be okay, Freddie joined in. But did any of them really know what they were doing? A rustling came from downstream. All three children instantly bolted to their feet. Mark wanted to run. He had the strangest feeling about whatever was coming out of the woods, but he didn't know how to articulate it to his friends. Maggie's numb hands tingled and blood rushed back to them. Maybe Spencer would be okay after all. With a splash, Spencer crashed into the stream and waded across. His dad's yellow wolverine's cap was situated firmly on his head. Maggie ran to him. He hugged her while looking over her shoulder at Mark and Freddie. Those boys didn't like the look they saw in Spencer's eyes. He looked sort of wild, like he might suddenly squeeze Maggie's head tight enough to snap her neck. But when she finally pulled away from him, he let her go. Then he smiled at Mark and Freddie, and everyone assumed he was okay. I will not insult your intelligence by trying to convince you Spencer was okay. The friend and brother Maggie, Mark, and Freddie had gone into the woods with had not returned. Not fully. Not in the way they knew him, anyway. Freddie trepidatiously ventured out to the fort the next day and found it empty. He had often been the first of the group to arrive, but never had to wait more than half an hour or so for at least one of his friends to join. That day, he killed two hours looking through Miles' monster menagerie. After 30 more minutes, Freddy decided yesterday's hair-raising pursuit must have scared his friends away. The thing that had chased them had terrified him in the moment, but it hadn't bothered him much after that. The woods were expansive. He thought the odds of them coming across that thing again or vice versa, were pretty slim. The whole experience seemed a little like a dream. Freddy left the fort and went to Mark's house. Mark answered the door, looking embarrassed. You want to go to the fort? Freddy asked. Is anyone else there? Mark asked in return. No, I've been alone all morning. Oh, well, no, I think I'd rather stay in today. You want to play Need for Speed? Freddy considered this for a brief moment, nodded, and stepped inside. They did not see the Eden twins that day. Then came the rain. It fell in droves for five days straight. Thunder and lightning, they came off and on, but the rain fell hard and steady, almost continuously for five days. On day three, Mark's parents announced a spontaneous trip to Cleveland to visit his uncle's family. Mark didn't want to go, but he didn't have a choice. He spent much of the trip thinking about Spencer wondering what that weird look in his eyes had been. Often, when he was not thinking about Spencer, he was thinking about Maggie, hoping she was okay. Freddy's parents would not let him leave the house. They feared he would get sick if he went out in the rain. He spent much of that week staring out back windows at the woods, hoping the Kilburn Club's fort was holding up. He watched the stream rise from day to day, threatening to spill over. The rain mercifully ended before it did. On the sixth day, when the sun started playing peekaboo with their saturated yards, Freddy and Maggie met on the muddy bank of the furious river that had been their quiet stream only a few days before. Where's Spencer? Freddy asked. 
he didn't think Maggie looked very well. Her face had the same sort of paleness as when she'd had her appendix removed a few years before. He supposed after the long, dreary week, he probably didn't look so great either. He's still at home, Maggie replied. He didn't want to come out. He hasn't really left his room much since... since the woods, you know? Freddy asked. Why? I don't know. I guess he's sick. He won't really talk to me. Whenever I try to talk to him, he gets really mad and tells me to go away from him. I heard mom and dad say he's not eating anything, but I hear him get up at night and get into the fridge. He's been eating all the lunch meat. Maybe he's just in a bad mood because of all the rain, Freddy offered. I don't think so. I think it has to do with what happened in the woods. Freddy, what was that? What chased us? Freddy shrugged. He had pondered this often during the five days of involuntary isolation. He wished he hadn't read that monster book the day after the chase. It had put all sorts of ideas into his head. Well, I think whatever it was did something to Spencer. He's just not himself, and his room stinks. It smells really bad, even outside it, like by the door. When Mark's back, let's try talking to Spencer together. All of us, Freddy suggested. Maggie agreed. The two of them spent the rest of the afternoon aimlessly wandering the loose bank of the stream, checking out where it had eroded away, leaving clay-streaked slopes. Mark returned the following day, the day Spencer disappeared. The stream still raged. It didn't come up as high as it had the day before, but the water was still far too violent to cross. Maggie had been crying when she found Mark and Freddie observing the stream together. She said Spencer had left before breakfast. She wanted to know if they had seen him. Freddie said he hadn't. And I literally just got back from visiting my uncle, said Mark. They stood in a triangle, looking at each other, wondering what the next right move could be. You should probably tell your parents we don't know where he is, Freddie pointed out. Okay, we can... Maggie was interrupted by one of those twisting cracks they had heard the day they were chased through the woods. Freddie the only one facing the woods at the time, screamed and stumbled back. Mark and Maggie turned just in time to see a tall tree, still vibrant with life, tip over and crash into the stream. Most of its leafy fingers landed on their bank. The trunk stretched across the dangerous water, creating a bridge. Freddy stammered. How did it... The bank must have eroded away. Under the roots, Mark speculated. Spencer? Maggie said. She took a few steps forward, then stopped. Did you see him? Mark asked. I... I don't know. Let's go tell your parents, Freddy recommended once more. No, it was him. He's right over there. Before either Freddy or Mark could stop her, Maggie was off. She clawed her way through the leaves of the fallen tree until she found the solid center, She used branches to hold herself up until she was over the water. Then, she had to crawl across the smooth trunk on all fours. Mark and Freddy, left with no other choice, copied her. Maggie ran off in the direction she had seen the flash of yellow the same shade as her father's favorite hat. Spencer was there. She knew it, probably thanks to whatever neurological link had made her hands go numb before. She suddenly halted. She had thought Freddy and Mark were right behind her. Had she run too fast for them to follow? Surely, she thought, she would be able to hear them soon. But she felt so alone. The thick, still air began to poke at her nose with something hostile. 
She recognized it from standing outside Spencer's room. With extreme trepidation, she called, Spencer? You look over there and I'll keep looking this way, Mark instructed Freddy. Freddy obeyed. He broke away at an angle, constantly looking over his shoulder like an owl to make sure Mark was in clear sight at all times. Maggie, he whispered harshly. The woods were so quiet again. He wondered where all the birds and animals he normally heard from his yard were. Freddy fanned out a little further, and a tree, which had been directly in front of him, shifted left in his vision. He saw Maggie just beyond it. He called her name, then turned and shouted for Mark. When his eyes fell on Maggie again, she was looking at him. A look of lost bewilderment blew up her eyes and made Freddy wonder if she was really seeing him at all. One of the trees behind her moved. A shape stepped away from the tree it had been sheltering behind, and Freddy saw it wasn't a tree at all. Maggie, watch out, he screamed. It was far thinner than most of the trees, but nearly as tall. Freddy didn't know of any animal that could grow so tall. Clusters of what he had thought were dead branches were actually the creature's long fingers dangling down near its knotted knees. The beast looked like a skeleton wrapped in a giant wet paper bag. Freddy had been mercifully spared a good look at its face. When Maggie turned to see what Freddy was screaming about, it took an enormous step back and vanished into the foliage. You good? Is she good? Mark asked as he caught up. His breathing slowed by an immediate fraction when he saw Maggie looking dazed but unhurt. Jeez, I thought she was going to get squashed by another tree the way you screamed at her. There was... was... Maggie asked. You saw it too? A monster! The fort! Where's the fort? Right over there, I'm pretty sure, Mark said. He pointed back to where he had come from. All three of them ran. Mark wasn't sure what Freddy and Maggie were talking about. A monster? But he ran all the same. The mention of the fort made him crave its familiarity, the false sense of security. The fallen tree which had formed their fort's entrance appeared ahead. Mark scooped the air next to his right ear, gesturing for Freddy and Maggie to hurry on ahead. They passed him and each dove for the entrance. Mark stayed out for a few seconds on his own so he could listen for any signs of approach. Then he crawled into the fort backwards. Freddy planted the spare board they sometimes used to cover the entrance into the dirt by the opening. He hoped whatever they were running from relied on sight and not, say, smell or heat. Some of the monsters from the book tracked prey with those senses. The one he saw had been so huge that despite its weak-looking frame, he imagined it would make easy work of their so-called fort. So what did you guys see? Mark asked. I don't know. I barely saw it before it disappeared, Maggie replied. Freddy was too busy flipping through the pages of Miles's monster menagerie. He uttered a victorious grunt, then spun the book around to show his friends. He had opened to a page that showed a horrible-looking creature that was practically just bones and teeth. The sunken yellow orbs in its skull could barely be called eyes, more like floating bulbs of pale light. This was an artist's rendering, of course, but Maggie thought she recognized the skeletal legs. They looked eerily similar to what she had seen disappearing into the brush. Wendigo, Freddy stated. I think this is what's after us. I think it's been waiting for us out there in the woods. I thought all that stuff was fake, Maggie said. Then, 
batting away tears, she asked, What would it do to Spencer? She couldn't look away from the picture in the book. Freddie noticed her frozen gaze and turned the picture back to himself for her benefit. It might have gotten him that day we all got chased. It might have, you know, possessed him. It's like a demon. That was when he started acting weird, right? Mark said more than asked. Maggie nodded. Guys, if it is a Wendigo, this is bad. Freddie sounded out the words. But very little is known about how to de- defeat a Wendigo, since it has both a p- physical body and a spiritual form. Simply de- destroying the body will not kill the Wendigo. So how do we fight it? How do we get it out of Spencer? Maggie asked, worriedly. Freddy held up a finger. Hang on. Okay, here it is. There are countless rituals and customs for preventing... Hang on. Okay, here. Some alloys, such as silver, are known to repel Wendigos, and in two recorded cases have even expelled them from those possessed... Mark was fingering his necklace under his shirt and pulled it out at the mention of silver. He began to examine it, but he had no idea what he might be looking for. Is that made of silver? Maggie asked, now sounding hopeful. I'm not sure. I think so. It's a family thing. I think my dad said it was real silver when he gave it to me. Maybe we could... Wait, shh! Freddy crouched real low and went still. Maggie and Mark froze. Something was outside the fort. The board above them groaned as something leaned down on it. It was trying to find a way in, or make one. The evil stench became more powerful than ever. The children held their breath, both out of fear and an unwillingness to suck down the tainted air. The wide, flat board that comprised their roof buckled. One single triangular splinter cracked and split away. Then the pressure was relieved. Large footsteps backed away from the fort, then faded to nothing. Before anyone could speak, a rapid rush of smaller footsteps came running back to the fort. They came from the same direction as the big ones had left, but there was no way they could have belonged to the same creature. The footsteps darted around the fort, then, with a hissing slide, something thumped against the board blocking the entrance. It knocked or pounded twice, and the board flopped over. Even before they could recognize him, Spencer entered the fort. His face looked emaciated beneath his dad's wolverine's hat, and he smelled like decades of death. Mark nervously said, Hey, Spence. Spencer lunged at him, clawing, gnashing his teeth. He knocked Mark onto his back and snapped at him. Mark screamed. The others moved to help, As they clamored for purchase on Spencer's clothes, he bit down on a hand Mark raised in defense. Long, needle-sharp teeth that did not belong to a little boy pierced through the flesh and muscle of Mark's palm from both sides. He howled in agony as blood painted Spencer's face in spurts. Freddy hit him in the back of the head with the thick monster book, and Spencer, or the thing that looked like him, lunged at Freddy instead. It knocked the book out of Freddy's hand with one casual swoop. Its other hand was close behind, grabbing Freddy's limp wrist before he could react. 
It brought Freddy's hand to its mouth and effortlessly bit his pinky and ring finger clean off in one horrific chomp. Freddy did not scream or cry out. He fell back and looked down at what was left of his hand in disbelieving awe. Blood shot out from his stumps like a double-barreled squirt gun. The creature wearing Spencer's face opened wide for another greedy bite. Maggie threw herself at it. She and Spencer were roughly the same size, so the full weight of her body knocked it clear away from her friends. But from there, the creature had all the advantage. Rather than push her off of itself, it hugged her tight, squeezed her until she couldn't breathe. She felt its mouth open against her collarbone. The wicked points of its teeth pricked her in a dozen places. She braced for the terrible bite, unable to fight against it. What Maggie had not seen was that while the creature had been occupied with Freddy, Mark had recovered some of his wit. When Maggie knocked the creature over, Mark had slipped his silver cross necklace over his head. He now held it out in front of him, the chain taut. When Mark saw Maggie couldn't get away, he dropped to the ground beside their struggling bodies. He ripped Spencer's hat off the thing's pruny head and got its attention before its teeth could pierce Maggie's flesh. Mark shoved the necklace down around the thing's head. It reacted instantly, screeching and writhing. It released Maggie, and she scrambled back towards Freddy. The thing that looked like Spencer screeched and writhed until it turned purple. It clutched at the silver necklace, but every time it tried to pull it off, its spastic movements caught the necklace on its neck or its ears. Little tufts of smoke started rising from its skin wherever the metal touched it. Mark grabbed its shirt, and started pushing it toward the opening. Maggie saw what he was doing and joined. Freddy just kept staring at his hand. Give me back my brother, Maggie screamed at the agonized creature. Give him back or we'll kill you. One of Spencer's bony hands made a pass at her face. It got caught in her hair. She uttered a terrified squeak, but Mark easily pulled on its arm and removed the hand from her hair. Mark and Maggie together, managed to push the stinking thing through the opening, out of their fort. It howled and screeched, the sound echoing once it was outside. They watched it through the opening as it scrambled to its feet and stumbled away. Once it was out of sight, they listened. Soon the agonized cries, so painful they could almost make you feel sorry for the creature, faded to silence. But the children didn't dare celebrate until the horrible smell faded too. Now their attention turned to Freddy. Mark's own hand had already stopped bleeding, for the most part. He was lucky. Freddy continued to lose blood in grotesque spurts, and his face had turned gray. We need to get him to his parents, Mark said, obviously. Freddy? Freddy, listen, Maggie begged. She could get no reaction from him. She thought about vampires, another monster from the big book that might have saved their lives. She wondered if that thing, the Wendigo or whatever it was, might have turned Freddy with its bite. But she decided that couldn't be the case because Mark had also been bitten and she saw nothing but grim determination on his flushed face. Mark took his shirt off and tore off a strip. He had seen this in a movie. He tied the shirt tightly around Freddy's bleeding hand, then tied the strip around his own. Help me lift him, Mark said. He and Maggie worked together to carry and drag Freddy out of the fort. 
He seemed only vaguely aware of anything happening to or around him. They led him to the stream with some difficulty, then stopped. They gazed across the fallen tree which had allowed them to cross and foolishly enter the trap laid for them in the woods. How are we going to get him across? Maggie asked. Mark looked up and down the stream. He saw, miraculously, Freddy's mom crouched over one of her garden beds. Mrs. Sanchez! Mrs. Sanchez! Mark yelled across the stream. She didn't hear him. She had headphones on and was bobbing to music. Freddy faltered and almost fell. Maggie joined Mark in yelling for Freddy's mother. Their combined voices finally got her attention. Mrs. Sanchez aided Mark and Maggie in helping Freddy cross the fallen tree, then ran him up to the house in her arms. The Sanchez's family car was squealing out of the driveway before Maggie and Mark even made it up to the houses. Freddy would be okay. Without any immediate threat, Mark's adrenaline waned. Suddenly, his hand hurt. Bad. Um, hey, I hate to leave you right now, but I kinda... He saw Maggie had collapsed into a seated position on the grass and was crying. Go, was all she said. She looked up at her own house, wondering what she would say when she saw her parents. What would she tell them about Spencer? Was he dead? Maggie, look, Mark suddenly shouted. His voice practically turned her head for her, back the way they had come. Some leaves were rustling, getting pushed aside. Mark helped Maggie to her feet, and they prepped to run. Spencer's hat was the first thing they saw. Then the rest of him emerged from the woods. Mark and Maggie started running. Guys, wait! Spencer's voice, clear and confused, came after them. Mark kept running, but Maggie stopped. She turned. Her twin's face didn't look shriveled and prunish anymore. His skin looked vibrant and normal. Around his neck dangled Mark's silver necklace. It didn't appear to bother him in the slightest. Spencer, is that really you? Maggie called across the stream. Mark now stopped and turned back too. When Spencer crossed the fallen tree and joined his sister, they embraced. Maggie smelled sweat and dirt and the stale odor of days without a shower. But to her, in that moment, those smells were wonderful. They were the smells of her brother. When the Kilburn Club returned to school, entering the sixth grade now, their reputation didn't seem to matter anymore. Something changed with the transition from elementary school to middle school. Nobody cared if they were in an exclusive club or had a hidden fort. The only thing anyone seemed to pay attention to regarding the former club was Freddy's missing fingers. So the former Kilburn Club began starting rumors again. Rumors about an evil monster that lurked in the woods behind Kilburn Avenue. Ironically, no one believed them, at least not publicly. The story told by Freddy, Mark, and Maggie, and backed up by Spencer, kept any more kids from exploring back there. The fort rotted away with no one to maintain it. The roof collapsed first, exposing the rest of the repurposed wood. All the boards turned black and green and sagged. But in the memories of the former Kilburn Club, the fort still stood strong. You made it out. Congratulations. 
If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.